Chapter One of Half Past Bedtime. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schoenever. Half Past Bedtime by H. H. Bashford. Chapter One. Mister Jug. The name of the town doesn't really matter, but it was a big town in the middle of the country and the first of these adventures happened to a little girl whose christian name was marion she was only seven when it happened to her so that it was rather a young sort of adventure but the older ones happened later on and this is the best perhaps to begin with marion's house was in a street called peter street because there was a church in it called st peter's church and some people liked this church because it had a great spire soaring up into the sky but marion's daddy didn't like spires because they were so sharp and so slippery he liked towers better because the old church towers he said were like little laps ready to catch god's blessing but marion's daddy was a queer sort of man and nobody took much notice of what he said at the other end of Peter Street there was a field in which some people were beginning to build houses, and Marion used to love going into this field to watch the builders at work. But one afternoon she became tired of watching them, and so she climbed over a gate into the next field. Here the grass was so tall that it tickled Marion's chin. There were great daisies in it, taller than the grass, and they looked into Marion's eyes. They had calm faces, like Marion's mummy's Nurney's face, and they didn't mind a bit when Marion picked them. There were also buttercups, shiny and fat, like the man in the butcher's shop who was always smiling. This was such a big field that when Marion came to the middle of it the voices of the builders were quite faint, and the tinkle of their trowels on the edges of the bricks sounded like sheep bells a long way off. When she turned round she could see the roofs of the houses and the tops of the chimneys, and the spires of the churches, all trembly because of the heat, as if they were tired and wanted to lie down. But they couldn't lie down, although they were so much older and bigger and stronger than Marion. I'd rather be me, thought Marion, and when she had picked a bundle of flowers she lay down in the deep grass. It was so hot that when once they had become used to her the stalks of the grasses stood quite still she could see hundreds and hundreds of them like trees in a forest or people in church waiting for the anthem up in the hills it was different there the grasses were always moving not running about of course but standing in the same place and bending to and fro to and fro some of them would move so her father had once told her as much as four miles in a single day, just as far as it was from Marion's house to the top of Fairbarrow Down. But here in the valley they weren't moving at all. They weren't even whispering. They were holding their breath, and if they were listening to anything it was to something that a little girl couldn't hear. She stared into the sky, but it was so blue that it made her eyes ache trying to see how blue it was, and when she closed them to give them a rest she could see little patterns on her eyelids. Then she opened them again, and the green of the grass as she looked between the grass blades was cool like an ointment. And nobody in the world, she thought, 
knows where I am. She felt a sort of tickle in the middle of her stomach. How do you do? said a voice. Marion gave a jump. She saw a little man looking up at her. He was not even as tall as an afternoon tea table. What's your name? he asked. He was very polite. He held his hat in his right hand. Marion told him her name. She wasn't a bit frightened. What's yours? she asked. I'm Mr. Jug, he said. And who are you, Mr. Jug? she inquired. I'm the King of the Bumpies, he replied. When Marion was puzzled, there came a little straight line exactly in the middle between her two eyebrows. What are Bumpies? she said. My hat, he gasped. Haven't you ever heard of Bumpies? Marion shook her head. Oh, dear, oh, dear, he sighed. Have you ever heard of angels? Well, of course, said Marion. Everybody's heard of angels. Well, then, Bumpies, said Mr. Jug, are baby angels. They're called Bumpies till they've learned to fly. I see, said Marion. But why are they called Bumpies? Because they bump, said Mr. Jug, not knowing how. Marion laughed. Where do you live? she asked. If you'd care to come with me, he said, I could show you. Oh, I should love to, said Marion. May I? He put on his hat and gave her his hand and helped her to stand up with her bunch of daisies. Come along, he said, and he took her across the field and threw a hole in the hedge into the next one. This was a smaller field with some cows in it, and the grass in it was quite short. He led her across it and helped her over a gate into the field beyond, where the grass was shorter still. "'How old are you?' he asked. "'I'm seven, said Marion. "'That's very young,' he replied. "'I'm seven million. "'Good gracious,' said Marion. "'And how old is Mrs. Jug? "'She's as old as I am,' he said, but she looks younger. When they came to the middle of this field, he stood still and stamped with his foot three and a half times, three big stamps and a little stamp, and then the field suddenly opened. Marion saw a hole at her feet with a lot of steps in it going down, down, down. This is where I live, he said. You needn't be frightened. It's quite safe. I'll lead the way. He was still holding her hand, and he went down before her a step at a time, very carefully. "'Isn't it rather dark?' said Marion. "'Wait till I've shut the door,' he said, and then you'll get a surprise." When both their heads were well below the ground, he tapped twice on the wall, and then the hole was shut, so that they couldn't see the sky, and a most wonderful thing happened. They were at the beginning of a long passage, almost a mile long, with a lovely slope in it, and on each side of it there were hundreds of little lights, all of different colors. There were blue lights, and green lights, and yellow lights, and crimson lights, and lights of all sorts of other colors that Marion had never seen or even imagined. Both the walls and the floor of the passage were quite smooth and just where they stood there was a little cupboard. This is where I keep my scooter, he said. It saves time, and there's lots of room on it for two. He opened the cupboard door and took out a scooter. Now put your hands, he said, on my shoulders. Oh, what fun, said Marion, as she suddenly noticed that he seemed to have grown taller. She climbed on to the scooter behind him, 
He gave a little push, and they began to glide down the passage. At first they went quite slowly, because the slope was so gentle, but soon they were going faster and faster, and presently they went so fast that all the colored lights became two streaks of light, one on each side of them. Marion could hardly breathe. What's going to happen at the end? she thought. But about halfway along the passage began to go uphill again, the colored streaks became separate lights, the scooter went slower and slower, at last it stopped just in front of a closed door, and there in the wall was another little cupboard. Here we are, said Mr. Jug, putting the scooter away. I expect they're all having tea. Then he opened the door, and Marion almost lost her breath again, for what she saw was a great long room with lots and lots of little tables in it, and bumpies sitting on chairs round every table. Hanging from the ceiling of this room were hundreds of colored lights, just like the lights that she had seen in the passage, blue lights and green lights and yellow lights and crimson lights and lights of all sorts of other colors of which she didn't even know the name and there was such a clamor of talking and laughing and spoon clinking and plate clinking and chair creaking and table creaking that marion could hardly hear what mr jug was saying although he was shouting in her ear that's my wife he said that's Mrs. Jug, that lady over there, just coming toward us. Marion looked where he was pointing, and saw a stout little lady with a smiling face. She was exactly as tall as Mr. Jug, but she weighed two and a half pounds more. As for the bumpies, they were of all sorts of sizes, but they all wore the same kind of clothes—little dark green jackets over little dark green vests little dark green knickers, and little dark green socks. Fastened to each jacket were two little hooks, one behind each shoulder. These were for their wings. But they only wore wings when they were having their flying lessons. Suddenly they all stopped talking and stared at Marion. Some of them stood on their chairs in order to see her better. She felt very shy and began to blush. Mrs. Jug came and gave her a kiss. This is Marion, said Mr. Jug. Can you give her some tea? Why, of course I can, said Mrs. Jug, giving Marion two more kisses. Come with me, my dear. You shall have tea at my table. She introduced Marion to all the bumpies. They gave her three cheers, and then went on with their tea, and soon Marion was having tea herself. Such a tea as she had never had before, not even at her Uncle Joe's. There was bread and butter with bumpy jam on it, and bumpy Devonshire cream on top of the jam, and there was bumpy cake with bumpy cherries in it, and there were bumpy meringues, and there was bumpy honey. Why, it's just like a birthday tea, said Marion. That's because it is one, said Mr. Jug. Every tea's a birthday tea down here. There are so many bumpies, you see, that it's always somebody's birthday. Dear me, said Marion, but isn't that rather a bother, I mean, for you and Mrs. Jug? Mrs. Jug gave her another meringue. There aren't any bothers, she said, in heaven. But this isn't heaven, said Marion. Is it? Well, of course it is, said Mrs. Jug, part of it. 
"'But it's under the ground,' said Marion. "'Well, never mind. Heaven's everywhere, only most people don't know it.' Marion was surprised, but she felt all lovely and shivery. Fancy! Heaven being so near home! What a thing to be able to tell Mummy! Mrs. Jug gave her some more cake. Some of the bumpies were finished now, and were getting impatient. Presently Mr. Jug clapped his hands. Then they all stood up, and Mrs. Jug said grace, and then they all rushed toward the door. This wasn't the door by which Marion had come in, but a door that opened into another room, a great big room, with even more lights in it, and hundreds of swings and all sorts of rocking-horses. In less than a minute there were bumpies upon every one of them, and two of the bumpies took charge of Marion. She had a lovely swing and a ride on a rocking-horse, and then they all began to play games. They played Ring-a-Ring of Roses, and Bumpy in the Corner, and Bumpy Hide-and-Seek, and Angel's Buff, and then Mr. Jug took her into the flying school to see some of the older Bumpies fly. This was like a big gymnasium, with lots and lots of pegs in it, and a pair of wings hanging from each peg, and on the floor there was great soft mattresses, so that the Bumpies shouldn't hurt themselves if they fell down. But the bumpies that Marion saw had almost learned to fly. They would soon be proper angels and able to fly anywhere. And then, said Mr. Jug, they'll be going into upper school to learn history and geography, and all about dreams and things. Where's the upper school? asked Marion. Oh, it's all over the place, said Mr. Jug. There are ever so many classrooms, you see, and then they go to college. And what happens then? asked Marion. Well, then they're able to begin to work. There's always heaps for them to do. I see, said Marion. And now I really think that I ought to be going home. Perhaps you ought, said Mr. Jug. He led her back into the playroom and then into the room where they had all had tea. The tables had been cleared now, and Mrs. Jug came toward them with a big box of bumpy chocolates. Marion took one, and Mrs. Jug kissed her and told her that she must be sure to come again. "'You haven't seen half the place,' she said, "'nor a quarter of it. There are miles and miles of it. Have another chocolate.' Then Marion thanked her and gave her a kiss, and Mr. Jug opened the door and they went into the passage. When they had come this part of the passage had been uphill, but going back, of course, it was downhill. He opened the cupboard and took out the scooter, and Marion stood behind him with her hands on his shoulders. Just as before, they began to go quite slowly, but soon they were going as fast as ever. Just as before, the colored lights became two streaks of light, one on each side of them. But Marion knew now what was going to happen, and presently the scooter went slower and slower. At last it stopped just at the foot of the steps, and Mr. Jug put it away in the cupboard. He hit the wall twice, and there, at the top of the steps, Marion saw the hole open and the sky above it. "'Goodness me!' she said. "'How late it is!' The sky was quite dark, and the stars were shining. Mr. Jug blew his nose. "'Poor Mummy!' she said. "'She will be so frightened.' "'Where do you live?' asked Mr. Jug. Marion told him. I'd better fly you there, he said. Have a tick. 
He went down the steps again and opened the little cupboard and came back with a pair of wings. Now if you can get on my back, he said, we'll be home in half a minute. She climbed onto his shoulders just as if she were going to ride pickaback, and then he gave a little jump and they were up in the air. They skimmed across the fields and down Peter Street just as fast as an express train. At Marion's door he put her down. Which is your bedroom window? he asked. She told him. Now I must be saying good night, he said. No, I won't come in. It's against the rules for the King of the Bumpies. So he took off his hat and made her a little bow, and before she could wink almost he was gone. Then she knocked at the door, and next moment Mummy was hugging her as tight as tight. Then Daddy came and hugged her too, and Cuthbert, who had gone to bed, looked over the landing banisters. "'Where have you been?' he asked. "'Why, where haven't I been?' said Marion, and then she told him all about it. Cuthbert didn't believe her, but Cuthbert didn't believe anything. He was nine years old and was beginning to learn French. But Mummy believed her, and Daddy believed her, and I'll tell you another thing that happened. Late that night, when everybody was asleep, Mr. Jug flew to Marion's window. Marion's angel—everybody has a guardian angel—was smoking a quiet cigarette on the sill outside. Hello, he said. Fancy seeing you here. He had once been a bumpy, you see, and Mr. Jug had taught him to fly. Good evening, said Mr. Jug. What do you think of this? It was a little dream that he had brought for Marion. By George, said the angel, that's a beauty. He slipped it very softly under Marion's pillow. She must have dreamed it, too, for next morning, when Mummy made her bed, it wasn't there. But alas, the loveliest dreams of all are the ones we never remember. Like the jungle he lives in, Tiger wears a dappled skin. Foxes on the plains of snow, white as their surroundings go. So do fishes lose their sight, buried in the ocean's night, little knowing lovely day lies but half a mile away. For the truth is plain to see, as our haunts are, so are we, and in cities you will find busy blind men just as blind. Long ago they lost their eyes under bags of merchandise, and they know not there are still angels on the window-sill. End of chapter 1